Happy Father's Day, church. It's great to be here with you. My name is Andy. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, welcome to High Point Church. Welcome back to High Point Church. If this is your uh, spiritual family, it's, it is a joy, literally, for us to be here with you today. You heard it from a couple different places. You might have seen it even getting set up on the way out. But dads, I'll repeat it again. We've got a great nacho bar for you right after church. There'll be enough for everybody. But dads, you get up in there first and uh, treat yourself, so to speak, to a little, little nacho bar. It's going to be fun. Guys, when is the last time? <clears throat> when is the last time you were in a position where you wished you were bigger or you wished you were taller or you wished you were older so that you could take advantage of some benefit. Now, if you're sitting here and you're, you know, you've got grown kids, you might be thinking the opposite. You might be saying, man, I wish I was younger, right? Or I wish this. But think of the last time. Think of when you were a kid or a child or, or you know, you were at the theme park and you just weren't tall enough to do what? Ride the roller coaster. You know what I'm talking about. Or you were, you're, you're my generation... When you were 14 or 15, you couldn't wait till you were 16 so you could drive. A lot of people nowadays, it doesn't have that anticipation that getting your driver's license used to have, at least from my vantage point. I don't see as much expectation. The day I turned 16 was the day I got my license. There was, you weren't going to hold me back. <laughs> I'm going to be able to drive. Think of the things, right? The discounts. The roller coasters, the admission into different things, even different movies, right? That, that sometimes what we wish that we had was a little bit of maturity or a little, little bit of, of, of an age difference. And we started a series that we're in right now called Church Victorious. And the whole series is reading through the book of Ephesians. We don't do this a whole, whole lot in our church. And I don't mean we don't preach the Bible or we don't read the Bible. But I don't just necessarily say Ephesians 1 and begin to preach through it. And then the next week we preach through Ephesians 2. But for this summer, one of the things that we like to do over the summer is we like to grow deeper and richer in our understanding of God's Word. And so we're in a series called Church Victorious. Paul, the writer of about two-thirds of the New Testament, has one of the most dramatic transformations and salvation moments in all of the Bible. He writes this book to the early churches in all of Asia. It started out in, in the church of Ephesus, and it got passed around. And the whole point and purpose of the book was to help these young churches to grow into a greater place of maturity. It. It's the only book in the New Testament that Paul writes where he isn't specifically addressing some kind of heretical teaching. He's not addressing some dude or some person that's jacking up the church or some massive sin issue that the church has. This book is purely a book of encouragement of how to build, how to grow how to go from being 14 to 16 and get your license. This is how to grow in deeper maturity with Jesus. Are you ready to do that this morning? We're going to get into Ephesians chapter 2. 
I'm going to continue tripping over these wires, so give me just a second while I literally kick them off the stage. Just kicking them out of the way. Guys, how about Bryson leading our worship team this morning? Isn't that fun? Even though he left all these chords for me to trip on, you know, I know he planned that on purpose. I know him. Guys, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, well, you have the book of old. I hear some pages turning. Not everybody uses that anymore, but it will be on the screen behind me as well. And we're going to read a lengthy portion of, of Scripture today. And then I'm going to camp out in just about two sentences for you. Every time I think I'm going to read and teach through a, a, a giant chapter, I'm able to make it through about a verse, maybe two. And so even as we're getting into the Scriptures today and we're, and we're teaching through the book of Ephesians, you've got to know something, church. I'm not exhausting any of this. I mean, I'm not even coming close. And I want to encourage you to read your Bible. Get up a few minutes before work, before class, before whatever you're doing, and spend some time getting in God's Word. Father, be with us today. Lord, we're asking that you'd bring it to light. It's, it's Father's Day. God, grow us as fathers. Grow us as men. But God, I pray that you would specifically grow us as a church today. Help us to grow in maturity and become more like you, Lord. That's our prayer. Amen. Ephesians 1, Paul sets the stage for who you are in Jesus, your identity. I mean, it is the mirror of all mirrors where you get to see who you are in Jesus. And I'm just going to bring you up to speed. If you weren't here the past two weeks, that's okay. You can listen to the podcast if you want. But understand, you walk away from reading the very first chapter of Ephesians, and you understand some things about yourself if you've put your faith in Jesus. Number one, you're blessed. And God has, un I mean, he has blessed you beyond your wildest imagination, even when it doesn't feel like it. You're blessed. You're chosen. You're sons and your daughters. You're not slaves. You're not servants in his house. You're a full-blown son and daughter. You are a member of God's household, the Bible teaches. The Bible also says in Ephesians 1 that Paul writes that you are redeemed and that you are marked with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. I mean, you, it's like Rocky Balboa time, right? You know that time where he, where he runs up the steps in Philadelphia and he's you know, got his arms up in the air? You feel good. Man, I'm all these things. That's right. Yes. And then, he turn, and then, you, then you get to Ephesians 2. And the opposite happens. The, the, the floor is about to drop out. Because Paul is also going to remind us not just who we are, but he's going to remind us who we are were. You ready? Ephesians 2. As for you, Paul writes, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is not work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
We'll stop there for a minute. It's unpopular to talk about Ephesians 2. Here's what I mean by it. Paul is making a massive declaration about who you and I were and possibly, if you're sitting here this morning, how you and I are. He says that you were dead. Nobody likes to be told that. No one likes to be reminded of that. You see, we have so many things that give us counterfeit feelings of life, do we not? I was laughing about this the other day. I love a good bowl of cereal, okay? It's Father's Day, confession time. Dads oftentimes like cereal. Does anybody like a bowl of cereal here? I do. I can eat a bowl of cereal for dinner if I really want to. No problems. Cocoa Puffs all day, okay? But when you're on a budget, right, I don't know if any of you grew up like this, but, but we did from time to time. When, when things are tight, you know what you do when you still want cereal? Is you buy the kind of cereal that's not name brand. Chocolate rounders, right? You know, chocolate spheres. You know, or you're trying to get Cocoa Krispies or something like that, and it's like brown rice. You know, and you're like, this, what? But you get it because it's cheaper and it's in the bag. It doesn't even have the box. It's just bagged cereal. You know what I'm talking about. And you go and you pour it and, you've, you know, you're on a, you were on a budget. And here's the thing. You feel good about yourself because you got, you got the cereal that, that costs less and you think it's going to taste the same as Cocoa Puffs. And I'm here to tell you, it does not taste the same as real Cocoa Puffs. It doesn't. Dr. Thunder does not taste the same as Dr. Pepper. It doesn't. That is a lie. Do not believe it. But you will be sold it as if it does. Track with me here. Because so often we settle for something that is not Jesus thinking that what we're getting is the same, that we're getting life, that we're getting that thing on the inside that truly changes us as men or as women. And I'm here to tell you there are so many things offered to you that are counterfeit, yet feels good enough to pass as life, but you're still living in death. You're dead. You're dead in your sin. But because you got a little something makes you feel good. It's decent. You got, the, you got the Cocoa Puffs at the bargain barn. It feels close to the real thing, even though it's not the real thing. We're dead. All of humanity suffers from the condition of trying to find life outside of Jesus, but it never satisfies, it never fulfills, it never produces life, and you're left dead on the inside. This statement is offensive. Post that on social media, and you will be annihilated in your comment thread. That Jesus is the only way to experience true, everlasting life. It's true. I 100% believe that. And yet it confronts us, does it not? It bothers us. 
And Paul is writing to the early churches because he wants them to remember that all these other things that you give your life to will never satisfy. But what does he say? He says that you're dead, but you're not just dead. You're dead in your transgressions. You're dead in your sin, the scriptures say. Ephesians 2 verse 1. You and I were dead, but we're dead because of transgression. We're dead because of sin. What is a transgression? That's a big, fat, churchy word, isn't it? It means a misstep. I've been in a church before where the pastor was talking, and he was trying to do an illustration, and he missed the stage. It was a high stage, too, and literally fell all the way off and injured himself while he was talking. He misstepped. He didn't mean to. He wasn't trying to hurt himself. He just lost firm footing. I have, in the middle of the night, gotten up to walk down the stairs like a dad does, and there's a toy, and you step on it, and your foot slides out, and you literally fall all the way down the stairs. I misstepped. I didn't see the trap that my children had laid for me. I misstepped. I misstepped again. When a word came out of my mouth that wasn't the kind of word that I should have been using, but I was injured and hurt, and you know what? I, 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 gave, I, I had a moment. I still have a bruise on my tailbone. Prove it. We misstep. And because of our missteps and our transgressions, we are dead because God is perfectly holy. And he is good. And he is righteous. And he is loving. And you and I, even on our best day, cannot make ourselves holy. We cannot put ourselves in right standing with a perfect God. We're dead in our transgressions. And ladies and gentlemen, might I also add, we're dead not just from a misstep, but intentional sin. Where God has said to you and I, this is how to live our life or your life. And we say, no, thank you. I am going to do it this way. This is what we call rebellion. And Paul is reminding us that this is who we were. You're saying, well, what does that actually look like? Have a child. And then ask that child not to touch that thing on the coffee table. And then take a few steps back. And guess what that child has to do? It's like they're compelled to do it. You didn't teach them to disobey. You didn't teach them to re be rebellious. How is it possible that they have learned such behavior? Because it's on the inside. It is a nature. We love to rebel. And we love to disobey. We also have missteps, and all of these things combined create a human condition that is desperate for a Savior. We're in dire need of Jesus. Not only that, I'm just going to keep heaping it on us this morning. 
scriptures remind us that it, it was, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time. It's not like you just had an accident one day. If you've ever watched one of those hoarding shows, and you're like, my God, how does this happen? And you watch, and I'm not trying to make fun of anybody if this is something you struggle with. But, you know, they have these shows, and you're allowed inside somebody's house, and you see what's happening around in the stacks of this and the, the stuff over here, and literally a dead cat under just newspapers and it's piled high. And you think, I get claustrophobic literally just watching it, right? But yet I, it's like a train wreck that you can't look away from either. You're just... This is unbelievable. Where do you begin? How do you live among it? And yet, the scriptures remind us that our sin is no different and that you and I chose to sit down in the squalor. We are living among it. If you've ever been around somebody that's dead, I'm 37 years old and have oddly been to many wakes and been to funerals. I've been to hospitals where people are no longer living. There have been times where I have prayed for God to bring life back into a body. I know that's crazy, but felt the, felt the, the, the ability to pray for that. did not happen the way I was hoping it would. But there are things that are interesting when you're around someone that is no longer filled with life. There are two uh, central things that happen. One is that that body is powerless. Death strips you of all power. You can't get off the table. If you're in the hospital, you can't, you can't get up. You can't have a conversation. You can't pray in this moment. You're gone. You can't go to the doctor at this point. The moment has passed. All power has left your body. You are powerless to do anything about the condition of being dead. And the other thing about being dead is that your body begins to decay and begins to rot and it begins quickly. And I'm not trying to get graphic. But a body of death, it begins to deteriorate fast. Which is why when Jesus came to the tomb of Mary and Martha, if you remember one of the biggest reasons, they didn't want him to roll the stone away after just four days is of Jesus, the stench. We don't want it to smell. And this is the condition that you and I find ourselves in. It's a hard reality. And no one wants to be told that they're dead. I mean, think about it. Think about telling this to a young person. 16 years old. Prime of life. Attracted to a girl, attracted to a boy. Everything is just kind of happening all at once. Maybe you're trying out for the football team. You've got your golden summer tan going on. And somehow, you're going to have a conversation and say that you're not living on the inside. Are you crazy? 
Are you nuts? One plus one doesn't seem to equal two here. Or the dad who's got children, is, he's got the job, or the wife who's, who is his, uh, rocking it in the business world, making great money. Family's crushing it. Three kids. 300000 a year, whatever, four, I don't care. Pick your thing. My point is this. When you stand boldly on the truth that without Jesus, you're dead on the inside. Now, you can say it with a lot more grace and eloquence. But the truth still remains. That that is hard to accept. Because we have so many things that honestly have the trappings of the goodness of God on them. Yet we don't realize that we haven't been made right on the inside. We're experiencing some of God on the outside. And for us, that's enough. I'll give you an example. My neighbor, uh, who is not a Christian, does not have any desire to follow Jesus or to put his faith in Jesus. We're becoming good friends and, you know, we're, we're having these conversations regularly. But he confessed something very interesting that when he's, when he's very worried or when he's very stressed, he goes to church and he sits in the back row. I said, why do you do that? You've told me a hundred times you're not interested in Jesus and that you don't want to follow him and that you don't believe he is Lord and Savior. So why do you go to a church? He said, I can't explain it. But when I go and I sit in the back row, I feel at peace. And then I leave, and I go back to my situation, and I feel anxious again. My point is this, that you can be around God, and you can be around spiritual and holy things without actually being changed on the inside. And because you're around things that are spiritual and holy and good and righteous, you can be deceived into thinking that you have made the decision to follow and give your life and surrender yourself to this Father in heaven, the creator of heaven and earth. Are you with me today? It's a lot to swallow. Ephesians chapter 2 has so much doctrine and so much theology, but so much application for you and I. There's a scene in Princess Bride, one of my favorite movies, where the hero of the story is, in theory, he's dead, but they, they think, you know, maybe there's something else we can do. And so they bring him to like, it's like a witch doctor for more or less, and he looks at the body and he says, he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. He's mostly dead. He's not fully dead. And most of us are content to try to live our life not fully alive. This is the story that we live with. Charles Spurgeon says it well. He says that if you are without Jesus, you're without everything that is worth having. Thank you. I'm not afraid to sweat up here, by the way. 
It is hot. It gets hot under these lights. If you're listening online, I am baking under the lights of our stage, and I was just brought a napkin to dry my forehead off with. Good times. Spurgeon says it like this, that if you are without Jesus, you are without everything that is worth having. Whew. Consider it. If you are without Jesus, you are without everything that is worth having. That's powerful. I, I know I'm taking a long time here, church, and I'm about to shift gears. But the reason we're spending so much time talking about this death that's on the inside, it seems like, well, if I'm coming to church, shouldn't I get the good news? Yes, and we're about to make the turn around the corner. But understand that good news isn't good news if you don't first understand the bad news. You're tracking with me today. Good news isn't good if we don't simultaneously understand the significance of what is wrong and what is broken. Why do we need good news if everything is fine and everything is okay. It's difficult to be thankful for who you are if you're never reminded of who you were. And you need to know something about me. This is who I was. I was dead. Dead in my sin. Dead in my transgression. And so are you. And if you haven't put faith in Jesus... I have bad news coupled with some good news. You still are dead. And everything you do to try to find life outside of Christ will only leave you temporarily satisfied. If we don't, it's difficult to be thankful for who we are if we never remember who we were. And there's this three-letter word. That pops up from time to time in the Bible. Three-letter word filled with power. And that word is but. Not B-U-T-T. That would be amazing. But not that. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in following the, the Satan. You were dead in following the patterns of this world. But we've got great news for you, comma, but... This thing was a shipwreck, but there was no hope, but you have no strength, but you are addicted, but think of all the situations you find yourself in and put a comma and put the word B-U-T after it because God has some unbelievably incredible good news for you. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved because of his great love for us. It wasn't kind of his little bit of love, as Bryson mentioned in worship. It wasn't just his leftovers. It wasn't just some dude on a hill who thought, ah, let's try it this way. No, it was his great love for us. And his great love for you and I has changed the end of the story. We went and saw The Incredibles, uh, the second one, on 
Friday. It was one of my first dates with Amy in 2005. And here we are, what, 13 years later? Four kids in two cities. We took this picture at the movie theater, and the lights went down. And an interesting thing happened. People started cheering. They were so amped, and they were so excited to have the second installment of The Incredibles. I was a little surprised by it, because I didn't realize people were as into The Incredibles as apparently they are. But they were into it, right? Why? Because the end of The Incredibles 1 isn't the end of the story. And because that wasn't the end of the story, they were excited and they were pumped and they couldn't wait to hear the next installment, the rest of the story. What's going on with Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl and Dash and whatever everybody else's name is. They were excited about the story continuing and I have great news for you. And it's news that's worth getting excited about. The, the end of the story is not that you are dead in your transgressions and that you're dead in your sin. There is another chapter. There's another movie. The credits are just beginning and we get to understand God's love for us, and it's not small. It is great. And when the lights go down and the movie begins, this is worth get, losing your mind about. Getting amped and excited about. Because when you understand who you were, you have so much more appreciation for who you are or who you can become. I'll read this part again. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. And it is by grace that you have been saved. Now, Having spent some time in the South, I grew up in St. Louis, but it's interesting, moving into the South, people say things like, mercy is hot outside. People use mercy all the time. You ever caught that? We, we use the word bless everywhere. Bless his heart. Bless him. We also use the word grace. So-and-so is having a rough day. You may want to show them a little grace. Right? Tracking with me? This is, this is Bible Belt vocabulary right now. Mercy, it's hot outside. Mercy, those nachos are good. I'm going to go get myself another plate. Mercy. And we use them so casually that we, un we, we, miss, we forget the weight of when God is who is rich in mercy. We don't even know what that means anymore. Mercy and grace, they're closely related, but they're not the same. If you've heard about the husband, right, who was asked to de describe the difference between kindness and loving kindness. We see the word kindness in Scripture a lot. But we also see a delineation between kindness and loving kindness. And he said, when my wife makes eggs with a little garlic, a little cheese in the morning, that is kindness. But she, when she makes those eggs and makes a side of bacon with it, that is loving kindness, right? 
Now we laugh about it, but there's actually some great theology in this. Because there is a difference between the two. Loving kindness is better than just plain old kindness. And when we talk about mercy and grace, there's a little bit of difference between the two. And since we're in a series where we're understanding and growing deeper with what the Bible teaches, well, we're going to go there this morning. It is God's mercy that forgave the offense of my sin. When you look up mercy in an 1828 Webster's Dictionary, there's actually spiritual terminology and Bible verses to go with it. And when God, it says that God is merciful, it means that he has done away with the guilt and the shame of your sin. It is in his mercy that your handcuffs are taken off as a guilty sinner before a perfect and holy God. Our God who is rich in mercy has set you free from the guilt and the punishment of sin. He did that out of mercy. But grace, grace is something a little bit different. Grace comes and it is God's grace that blesses me even when I don't deserve it. It's not that, not, it's not that he just has done away with, with, with the punishment of my sin. He now comes to me and out of his grace now continues to bless me and enrich my life. Out of the, the glory of his grace, he has enriched and blessed my life with the benevolence of a heavenly father. And that is astounding. You might have heard it said like this, that mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. But grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. That always makes my head spin, so I'm going to say it again. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. But his grace, that's when God gives us what we don't deserve. And I've been given so many things I don't deserve. God's grace has blessed me beyond comprehension. I was a broke down, jacked up, train wreck of a young man. And God's mercy, his great love for me, even while I was a sinner, meaning I didn't do a thing to earn it, to get it, to somehow awaken God's heart so that he'd give it to me. I did nothing to contribute to the equation. And out of his great mercy for me, he put his grand love on display. And he did away with the punishment that I was due. And instead, he gave it to his son, Jesus, who took the punishment for our sin. But he did something extraordinary as well, as he didn't end there. He now lavishes his grace like a, like a, like a father blessing his daughter by filling up the gas tank. What does a good daddy do? A good daddy knows how to now bless his children. And these are the two qualities that mark your life more than anything else. You were dead, but you are not dead anymore. You know what defines you? You know what has marked you? What, what has made you new and made you alive is God's great love for you, who is rich in mercy and abounding in love and grace. 
It has made you alive. And like my friend who longs for something to change on the inside of his heart and in his soul. He longs for something to change so much so that he'll sit in the back row of a church. He realizes that just changing the circumstances of his life, it isn't and hasn't changed what's happening on the inside. Jesus did something that's extraordinary. In his mercy, he went to the cross. In his mercy for us, he died for you and I and did away with the punishment that we were due for our sin. And what did he do? The Bible says that he rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. And then this amazing thing happened after 40 days of spending time with his disciples as a risen Savior, as one who came back from the dead. The Bible says that, that he turned to his disciples, and my paraphrase, said, it's time for me to go. It's good for me that I leave. Because when I go to be with my Father in heaven, I'm going to send you somebody else. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. It is out of his mercy that he died for you and I. And it is out of his grace that he gives us the Holy Spirit. He blesses us beyond measure with this thing called the Spirit of God. And now, rather than, than being people who are always desperate for God on the outside, and we're trying for, to get him to change our circumstances and to somehow show up, and God, would you do this, and God, would you do that? And we act like beggars in his kingdom. No, no, no. Jesus goes to heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, now lives on the inside. And it's that Spirit of God that brings me from death to life. I'm made new. The holy, set-apart Spirit presence of God doesn't live on the outside. It lives on the inside. And now my longing for God to bring peace and joy and love and if I miss it, well dang it, I kind of missed it, which is how things were in the Old Testament. When you read, people longed for what you and I have. They longed for what is available to you and to me through the Holy Spirit. They longed to see it. Now what you and I have access to out of God's rich mercy and out of his rich grace is not only is our sin dealt with, our punishment pushed aside, but you're given the Holy Spirit and now peace and love and joy and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, all of these things now can swell up from the inside out because you're not a dead man walking. You are somebody who's been made new on the inside. You have been made alive. One of my favorite authors, and I'm going to wrap with, with this. His name is Max Licato. He 
he says it like this, that mercy forgave the thief on the cross. But grace escorted him to paradise. I love that. Church, it's Father's Day. And while this message doesn't feel like a message specifically for dads, it actually couldn't be more appropriate for men and for fathers in particular because we love to do things in our own strength. Everyone has a measure of wanting to do that, but dads in particular. Don't ask, are we going to ask for directions? No. I know where I'm going. There's a stubbornness that dads have. A, a mental fortitude at times. And it is a wonderful thing, but it can also get in the way of surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus. And this is one of those moments, church, where I'm inviting you to put your faith out there. To recognize that what you need is not something that you can do in your own strength and in your own power, but that you need God Almighty to work and to move and to make you alive. We call this being born again. The Bible says it's by grace that you've been saved. In other words, the greatest, it's like the greatest Christmas present in the whole world is just sitting here, available to you. For some of you, all you need to do is just open it, unwrap it, and put your faith in Christ. Some of you need to be reminded of it because you're going through a hard time and you're trying to get through it in your own strength. This is a great moment for you just to put your faith in Jesus. Like the old song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Father, be with us this morning. God, I thank you for your presence here today in worship and the message on Father's Day. Lord, we thank you that you, the greatest Father of all, Sometimes that's hard for us because we don't want to accept the situation that we are in without you, Lord, but we are dead without you. We are lifeless without you. God, how can we be thankful for where we are if we don't ever think about where we were? And so, Lord, we thank you that you make a way to have sin dealt with, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, that our life might be new and different. God, would you speak in this room right now? God, would you convict right now? Would you knock on the door of our heart right now? Or let us not leave unchanged today. God, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you move right now? 
If you're sitting here this morning and you know this is you, you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to build your life on Jesus Christ that it's time, whether you're 45, 55, 14. Let today mark a day where you put your faith in Jesus right where you are. I want you to pray with me. You don't have to stand. You don't have to raise your hand. Mean what you pray. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for the grace of the Holy Spirit. I put my faith in you as my Lord and Savior today. Thank you for saving me and making me anew. Lord, today I am alive in Jesus. If you're sitting here today and you're going through a thing, you're going through a moment, and you've needed to be reminded to put your faith in Jesus that he alone is your strength, then pray right where you are. Say, Jesus, forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Forgive me for trying to do it in my own strength. Jesus, you are the one who brings life. I give this to you right now. Thank you for being my king. Thank you for being my Lord and Savior. I give this to you. I give it over to you right now. Jesus, I worship you and I love you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me alive.